Welcome, everybody, to This Podcast Has Autism. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. On this episode, we have Jennifer. She is a musical therapist. Hello, Jennifer. Hi. Nice to be here. Um, So tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. All right. Uh, Like you said, I'm a music therapist, which is basically... It's comparable to being a speech therapist or an occupational therapist. I'm using music to help address people with the thing, challenges that they're working on. Uh, I own a small private practice, and so I work with a few different kinds of people. I work with kids who have autism. I work with kids who have Down syndrome, ADHD, cerebral palsy, speech impediments, and I also work with older adults who have dementia. Oh, wow. So... What do you like most about being a musical therapist? Being a music therapist, uh, there's so much that I like about it. Um, Let me put it this way. The way that I encountered music therapy in the first place was when I was in high school. There was a music therapist who came to my school to work with the special education program there. And she asked for some volunteers from the orchestra class. And I was curious, so I decided to volunteer. We went in and we're in this special education classroom and we're having a really great time playing songs and playing with instruments and interacting with the students and I loved it. But then at the end, we would meet in a different room and we debrief and we talk about, okay, these are the different things that we were seeing people doing and the responses they were having to this song or to the stimulus and this is what we're working on with him and this is what we're doing to try to address the goals that he's working on. And I just fell in love with that creative behind the scenes process of let's look at what someone is good at and let's look at what someone is struggling with and figure out a way how to combine the two to use what they're good at in a creative way to address what they're struggling with. And uh, I love that mixture between arts and sciences and getting to really see people learning new skills. Wow. So when did you, oh, I guess you pretty much answered that question. Uh, (laughs) uh, What are, like, the health benefits of music therapy? Uh, There's a lot. Music therapy is a pretty diverse field. There's music therapists who work in hospitals or in uh, psychiatric centers and prisons, a lot of different settings. For what I'm doing mostly, say, with kids with autism, uh, we're working on, uh, first of all, communication skills, so, like, you know, with kids with autism, it's often like they've got their own language yeah. that, uh, and so there can be a barrier of communication there. And so there's a certain amount of us needing to learn how to speak their language, but also a certain amount of helping them to learn how to speak our language, whether that's through using PECS images or through sign language or through speech, um, depending on where they're at. And so lots of speech and communication, uh, It's actually really fascinating. They've done a study recently where they did brain scans on some adults with autism, and they found that they processed words more easily in the brain if it was set to music than if it was just spoken. That it's something about how people with autism are wired that they just understand things better with music. So it's also good for, like, if there's kids that are working on learning skills that have multiple steps, like how to brush their teeth or use the bathroom, you can give them a song that goes through the steps, and that'll make it easier for them to remember. Um, there's also a lot of things with dealing with 
depression or anxiety or emotional regulation. Uh, music is very emotionally evocative, and so you can use music to kind of help change what emotion someone is at. Like, if someone is really upset, you go in there with music that's upset like they're upset, and then you can kind of go from there to music's a little calmer, a little calmer, a little calmer, and that will help them calm down. That's called the ISO principle, and so that's sort of another cool thing. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So what does a music therapist do aside from playing music? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, I know that there's a lot of people who sort of just assume that I go in there, play some classical music tapes, and we're through, and it's a lot more to it than that. Uh, When I'm working with someone, I can play music for them, or I can teach them how to play music. We can improvise music together or we can actually write songs. So there's a lot of different things that we can do, and it depends on who I'm working with, what they like and what they're good at, and what we're working on. Um, See, for example, I had one kid I was working with, a great kid. He he did have autism. He was was a real chatterbox, real, real smart (laughs) kid, loved animals. That was his big thing. And so something we would do would we... But he struggled sometimes with social skills. So what we would do is we would write these songs about animals that would find themselves in some sort of social situation and then figure out what the animal should do to tell the whole story in the songwriting situation. And that helped him process these different social skills that he was working on. Oh, wow. Um, Or another example, this was uh, a young man I was working with that he was mostly nonverbal, but he could sing. And so we would work on communication of... He, wait, he was nonverbal? He was but nonverbal, he, but he, he could sing. sing. Wow. I could get Holy him to cow. independently sing all the words to zippity doo and the bare necessities. That, that is awesome. Yeah, like I said, it's a lot of times with autism, it's easier to process music than speech. You actually sing with a different part of your brain than you speak with, which... In other parts of music therapy is cool because, like, if you lose the ability to speak in a stroke, a music therapist can help you learn how to use the singing part of your brain to relearn how to speak. Oh, wow. That's called melodic intonation therapy, and it's it's awesome. I, I love music therapy. I can talk about this for hours. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, he, he couldn't really speak. He just had, like, a couple of words that he could use. Um, mostly he would repeat back whatever words you said, echolalia. But he could sing. And so what we were working on was I would give him choices between a few Disney songs that he liked and he would have to communicate to me which song he wanted to do. And then we'd go through and sing the song and he'd be able to get through all the words. And sometimes he'd be able to do it himself. Sometimes I'd have to prompt him. Like I'd sing a few words and then he'd fill in like, look for the bare necessities, the simple their necessities. Exactly. <laughs> we do that sort of thing. And so it was kind of helping him gain those language skills by practicing in the singing. So oh, that's another example. That's awesome. So what sort of training does a music therapist have? It's a great question. Uh, right now in the U.S., the requirements to become a music therapist is first to get a bachelor's degree in an approved music therapy program. Uh, then to have a six-month or longer internship. Mine was a full school year because it was at a, a school for kids with special needs. 
And then you have a board test that you need to pass. And then there's continuing education credits that you have to get, just like with a teacher or another kind of therapist. So I got my bachelor's degree in music therapy with a minor in psychology and had a great internship at a school for kids with special needs. Had so much fun there. And then I took my exam. That's a lot of education. (laughs) It's a fair bit. They're actually talking about increasing it to a master's degree entry instead of a bachelor's degree entry. But that's still something that's kind of, they're still kind of talking about it. So let's say someone can't carry a tune in the bucket. (laughs) Uh, Can they still participate in music therapy? Oh, definitely. And, you know, sometimes there's a stereotype that kids with autism or people with autism are naturally wonderful musicians. That is not actually true. Just like with everyone else, some of them are great at music. Some of them can be good with music with practice. Some of them have no musical ability whatsoever. But the thing about music is that you benefit from engaging in music, whether you're good at it or not. They're playing on the drums actually boosts your t-cell count and is good for your immune system singing is good for breathing if you are making music and you are enjoying it you are benefiting and who cares what anyone else thinks about whether or not it sounds good wow i never knew playing instruments like boosts your health mm-hmm. and stuff. That's oh crazy. there's oh there's tons of stuff like um there was this research they did recently on like with ptsd post-traumatic stress disorder that um you can help manage it by doing exercises that involve you moving your head from your head from side to side and your body from side to side and i don't understand it i'm not i'm not up on that particular research but apparently they found that teaching someone how to play scales on the piano can help with that particular therapy oh wow so again i don't know a ton about that particular branch i haven't specialized in ptsd but there's, there's tons of crazy stuff. Music is good for you. And I would say most of the clients that I work with are not naturally great musicians. And that's okay. We go in and we have a good time. We jam out. We do their favorite songs. And they're having those benefits. And it doesn't matter whether or not they're going to perform. thing I like about music therapy as opposed to, say, music education is that our goal is the process, the it's about the destination, the journey instead of about the destination. That It's about what you're getting out of being in the moment of music instead of whether or not you're ready to perform on a stage. Yeah, yeah. Because mm-hmm. most people, they take music lessons because they want to become the next rock star or mm-hmm. pop star or whatever. Yeah, I, I mm-hmm. get your point. Yeah, that's awesome. So is there a reason why people might not have heard of music therapy before? One thing is that it's kind of new. Uh, Music therapy was first... Well, people have been using music in medicine since ancient times in a lot of cultures. Uh, In ancient Greece and a lot of cultures in Africa, music was just part of healthcare. But that's something that kind of went by the wayside as healthcare became more and more scientific. What happened during World War II, though, was that a lot of volunteer musicians would go in to the hospitals where all these injured soldiers were coming in, and they'd just, you know, go in and play music. What they found was that the soldiers who had the volunteer musicians were recovering faster physically and mentally. 
and were needing less pain medicine. And so they said, okay, actually there is something scientific here. So that's when uh, people started developing the research that became the field of music therapy and looking at, okay, what's actually the science behind what's going on here? How is music affecting our bodies and affecting our brains? So it's relatively new. You can go to some places that it's more common and places that it's less common. It's better known in Europe and in the Eastern U.S., a little bit less known in the Western and Midwestern U.S., and uh, it's spreading in Asia right now. Uh, there's, like, this big training going on sometime next month in Thailand, which I wish I could go, but <laughs> <laughs> about uh, using music therapy with, like, I think they're, like, doing something with the orphanages in Thailand or something. Wow. Yeah, it sounds super cool. I wish yeah. I could go. <laughs> what is the best and worst thing about being a music therapist? Best thing? is definitely the people you get to work with. I mean, I'm a big person in data and science, but at the same time as you've got the science, this is also a job that has a lot of heart, and you really get the chance to develop a relationship with the people you're working with. And, oh, I fall in love with all my clients really but it's you have a lot of fun but you're also getting to see them grow and learn new skills and make improvements and that's really exciting hardest thing first hardest thing is probably when you have to say goodbye yeah <laughs> but um sometimes there are clients that can be a little bit difficult more often there are clients with parents that can be a little difficult <laughs> <laughs> has been my experience that uh yeah also teenagers are harder than kids because they have an attitude yeah I bet. I bet. <laughs> still working on my teenager skills it helps that um i've already figured out that i'm not cool so i don't try to be <laughs> <laughs> and i think they appreciate that so how is music therapy viewed by other healthcare professionals that does depend a little bit. Some people who are not familiar with the research cannot be very respectful. There's times that you get well-meant but kind of condescending comments like, oh, music therapy, that's, that's the fun job. It is, but we're doing more than just having fun, and sometimes it isn't fun. Sometimes you're dealing with some kind of, like, grief after someone's passed away or uh, you know there's there's complicated emotions there too it's not just fun and games or problem I've been having lately with uh, reaching out to facilities for the, the geriatric work I do is that a lot of them say well why would I hire you when I can just have someone from the local church come volunteer to play music so not understanding that there's yeah. a difference between yeah. Just someone with a guitar and someone who's got the, the skills and training and know-how of a, of a therapist. But I've also had some really positive interactions from people who do know about it or who are at least open to the idea that teachers and therapists and some directors that they've seen the research or they've seen it in action and that's the biggest thing is if people can see it in action they'll usually start to believe in it because it's it works. It's got the science to back it up. And what's more, you can see it working when you're in there on the field. And so that's 
that's kind of the big thing, I think, is giving people the chance to kind of see and experience it for themselves. So probably the biggest question most people have is like, how much does it cost? Does insurance cover it? That's a good question. First of all, the insurance part, kind of. Most insurance, com- insurance. Yeah, most insurance companies don't really know what to do with us. Um, I've been to a few classes about it where there's like a whole process of submitting to the insurance and sometimes they'll accept it and sometimes they don't. So it is kind of a process. Um, in some states, and we're working on it in this state, Medicaid can help to pay for music therapy. Oh, wow, cool. Um, I know that's the case in Idaho. And um, I'm on a group that's working on advocating for that here in the state. Um, as for the cost, that's going to depend on where you are. Uh, I, I guess I can say as sort of a point of reference that I usually charge $60 an hour for one-on-one. Um, sometimes with people, I'll do half-hour sessions instead and uh, I have a different rate for group rates, but I guess that's kind of a starting you'd have to contact a music therapist in your area to know though because it really does depend on where you are in the country what is your approach when working with patients who are very low functioning well uh first thing is definitely to try to talk to the parents or caregivers or teachers or you know people who work with them a lot try to understand as much as I can about how they communicate and what responses they've already shown to music. If there's music that they really like or something like that. Uh, at this point, um, and this is something that I do with any client, I start with an assessment where I kind of go in with a few different things and just sort of see what happens. Like, okay, how do you respond to this instrument, to this song? What do you do when we do this? What do you do when we do that? And kind of get an idea of how they respond, what seems to work for them and what doesn't seem to work with them. Um, A lot of times when you've got someone with autism who's a bit lower functioning or maybe nonverbal, you kind of have to start in with a, music that's a little bit soothing at first because uh a lot of times when they're first meeting a music therapist they can you know it's a big whole new experience and a new sensory thing and they can get really overwhelmed and overstimulated and so you kind of have to start a little bit slow it's been my experience but um looking at i mean most people with autism i've met have their favorite music whether that's maroon five or the wheels on the bus (laughs) And so that, and just like everyone else, that we've got our music that we prefer, and that's where you want to make that connection, not with, I I lost that thread of thought, (laughs) not not with, say, uh, people assume that I use a lot more classical music than I do. I'm much more likely to use Imagine Dragons or uh, Wheels on the Bus than Mozart, as much as I do like Mozart, but... Yeah, so starting in with kind of that assessment of, okay, what are their responses to music? What kind of music do they respond to? Do they like? What do they do when they hear music they like? Do do I get a smile? Do they start jumping up and down? Are they able to tell me that that they're somehow that this is what they like or that they want more of this? Uh, 
So for like little mm-hmm. kids, you'll play like Wheels on the Bus. Yeah. And teenagers, teenagers, they might like Imagine Dragons, mm-hmm. or maybe they'll like rock music or mm-hmm. something. A lot of times, uh, you'll find that uh, they like the music that their parents like because that's what they've been oh, exposed yeah. to yeah. growing up. So yeah, that's always a good starting point, and yeah, and and seeing like what they're willing to do with instruments, like a lot of times. Uh, when you're starting with someone who's got autism is a bit lower functioning, they can be really reluctant to try new instruments. That It's a new object to interact with. It's a lot of sensory information. Um, and so trying to figure out how to help them engage with the music in a way that's comfortable. And for some, that might mean that they're not playing an instrument. They're just listening at first, or they're listening and vocalizing to whatever ability they have. Sometimes it means that you can introduce instruments slowly. Um, I had... One one guy I worked with that he really loved Disney characters, so he wasn't wouldn't touch the instruments at first until we put pictures of some of his favorite Disney characters on the drums. Then he would play the drums, and then what happened was uh, after we'd gotten to know each other a bit and we were at a point where he knew that he could tell me no if I asked him to do something and he didn't like it, he would be more willing to trust me and to let me say, here's this instrument you've never seen before. Let's try it out. And so, yeah, it's, it can be a little bit of a process uh, of figuring out what's most effective in this particular case. But that's kind of a rambling idea of what my <laughs> approach is. <laughs> How do you go about involving family members in patient treatment? It's a good question. Uh, that depends a little bit on, uh, the family that I'm working with. Some of them, they're just fine to shut me and the kid in a room and let let me handle things for a while. But, uh, especially when working on social skills, what I like to do is have group activities where we're having the siblings involved and we're working on things like turn-taking of oh, we're going to pass this instrument around or we're going to do some sort of following and copying thing. So it's giving them the chance to have practice those social interactions with the peers that they spend the most time around with, which is, of course, their siblings. Uh, with As far as involving parents... Uh, do you give, like, homework? Yeah, sometimes. It, it depends a little bit on the situation, but a lot of time I will give some kind of homework that the, the parents can follow up with, whether that's um, they're going to practice something that we worked on, or maybe there's uh, a song that I want the, the parents to sing with the with the kids sometimes during the week. So depends a bit on the situation, but sometimes I do <laughs> give homework, yeah. How do you use research to inf- to inform your music therapy practices? Well, uh, two of the biggest resources are the Journal of Music Therapy and Music Therapy Perspectives. Those are peer-reviewed journals that are full of uh, music therapy research that come out um, four times a year. Also, uh, I spend a lot of time networking with other music therapists about what their experiences have been. Um, you know, we're, we're respecting privacy and everything, but talking about, oh, I have a client who's in this situation, and what sorts of things have worked for you guys? Um, definitely, I also just look at other 
sources of research, like what's going on in, in psychology publications and what's going on in recent research in the, in the news on different things, uh, trying to read up on the, the different groups and populations that I work with and have an understanding of what's going on in the brain and that sort of a thing. And then also, uh, everything that I'm doing, I'm collecting data on whatever goal we have on how they're doing during each session so that I can go back through and graph it out and look, look at, okay, what I'm doing, is this actually effective or not? And if it isn't, something needs to change so that I'm actually helping them. And if it is effective, then, uh, then great. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's, so even just the, the results of what I'm doing is informing what I'll do in the future, that I'm making sure that the there's evidence to support what I'm doing and that what I'm doing is actually being effective. So if anybody wanted to get a hold of you, like, do you have a phone number or website? I do have a website. That's at www.aimhighmusictherapy.com. And I have a blog there, which has some different resources about uh, different disabilities and information about uh, music therapy and how it works. So if anyone wants to check out that blog, I would certainly be happy to have you there. All right. Well, I think that wraps things up for today. Um, All right. We appreciate you coming on to the show. Well, thank you very much. It was a delight to be here. At this time, we want to give a shout-out to AudioMave for letting us record in their studio. Don't forget to like us and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Next week, we will have Jonathan, who is an autistic teen, talk about his job as a crew tech. Thanks for listening. Until next time. (laughs) 